There is an entire book dedicated to the Blessed Mother in the Quran, and she's mentioned in Islam's holy book 34 times. In the Quran, Mary's holiness is celebrated, and it's second only to Muhammad's daughter, Fatima. What role does Our Lady play in a conversation between Catholics and Muslims? Catholic Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Chloe Langer, and I'm joined today by Dr. Troy Hinkle. He's the co-founder and vice president of Holy Family School of Faith here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, an organization whose mission is to build the church by training missionary disciples. Welcome to the show, Troy. Thanks for coming. Chloe, thank you for having me. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Islam, how Mary offers a unique bridge between Catholicism and Islam, and how Mary is a fierce warrior Ultimately, the victory is going to be won by the Blessed Mother. But before we talk about the Blessed Mother's role, Troy, can you just give us a brief history about Islam, where the religion gets its roots, and how it kind of spread throughout the world? Yes, I, uh, do, I'll do my best, Chloe. Uh, <laughs> I know enough to be dangerous. Uh, Islam, of course, is an Arabic word that means submit. And it is a religion that was founded by a man named Muhammad, who lived in the Arabian Peninsula. He was born in the year 570 A.D., his mother died while he was uh, while she was in childbirth with him. Then his father died when he was about five. So he was raised by an uncle, a man named Abu Talib, and his uncle was a merchant involved in trading routes in the Arabian Peninsula. And so uh, Muhammad grew up with that background. In 595, he married young, but his wife was older. Her name was Khadija. And she was actually a Christian, albeit a heretical Christian. And I think this is a, a part of the history of Islam that people don't realize, is that Muhammad's exposure to Christianity through his wife was a Christianity that had been um, sent to the hinterlands of the Roman Empire by previous ecumenical councils some 300 years earlier uh, because they did not believe Christ was fully divine. So yes, his wife was Christian, her uncle was even a monk, but a heretical one. And their belief in Jesus Christ was much different than the Orthodox belief today, where we know that he's true God as well as true man. So this is, uh, this is the social and, and religio background for Muhammad in this time period in the Arabian Peninsula. And around the year 610 AD, he began to have visions and hear voices from an angel he called Jabril, which we would call Gabriel. Mm. And it's from these encounters that he claims to have received a text from heaven written in Arabic, written on cloth, that he first was shown. And then Jabril, Gabriel, supposedly dictated it to him so that he could write it in his own way. He teaches that the Quran that we have today is a heavenly, therefore an eternal book that pre-existed this world and that is designed to fix the so-called errors of Judeo-Christianity. So we have to understand this, that he, he sees Islam as a rival and a correcting religious force whose role it is, is to spread throughout the world uh, by any means necessary. So that's a brief, very brief history of uh, the birth of Islam. This makes sense too when it comes to the spreading of Islam. We were talking about this before the episode, how 
he's interacting with Christians who have rejected that Christ is the son of God, who mm -hmm. see him as just a prophet. And so mm -hmm. when Muhammad is spreading this mission of Islam and t saying that Christ is not the son of God, he is a prophet, a lot of those Christians that he was interacting with would have been able to connect with that message because they already believed right, that. Right, mm -hmm. right. So here's the interesting thing. When he starts, he starts out in Mecca. Mecca had a religious structure that's there to this day called the Kaaba, a black stone cube-shaped structure. And Muhammad at first was drawn into the kind of religiosity practiced there. It was what they call syncretistic. That's a word that means that lots of different religions worshiped there and their religions mixed to create some kind of hybrid new religion. But when Muhammad claimed to begin receiving these messages, he wanted to unify these false religions and he rightly rejected the polytheism that was being mm. practiced there. But his influence of Christianity was this heretical one. Like you said, Chloe, he already was surrounded by people who were divided from the main body of Christianity by the fact that they rejected the full divinity of Christ. Right. So when he is preaching his religion in Mecca, uh, he's there for 15 years preaching peace. He has very few converts. Then when he goes to Medina, he preaches jihad that the religion can spread by the sword, and he conquers, by the end of his life, the Arabian Peninsula. So it gives us kind of two insights into the spread of Islam. One, he's willing to use force. Two, his false understanding of Christ was already widely believed by the so-called Christians who lived there. Mm -hmm. So they were much more prone to accept his teaching. When we have conversations with people who aren't Catholic, for instance, people who are in different Protestant denominations, and we talk about Mary, it can kind of be a tripping point because we don't see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. When you're talking to someone who practices the Islamic faith, there is a little bit more of a connection there. How does the Islamic faith see the Blessed Virgin Mary? Yeah, so that's interesting. This is, this, this is a, an, an interesting side note. It's actually not a side note, it's something that I think is going to be very key mm -hmm. uh, someday in the conversion of Islam. Muhammad had a daughter with Khadijah named Fatima. Now, Muhammad had many wives, yeah. but this was his first wife and his favorite daughter, Fatima, Fatima, we would say. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very much so. And uh, we'll talk about Fatima here in a little bit, the, the apparition, but this was the name of his daughter. And he had a great devotion to Isa, Jesus, a pro the prophet, and he was devoted to Mary or Miriam. Why? Because she was the mother of the prophet. Now, why was he so devoted to Miriam or Mary? There are lots of prophets that Islam accepts. Yeah. They accept almost all the Old Testament prophets as prophets. They even accept John the Baptist as a prophet. Huh, that's fascinating. So why would they be so devoted to Mary rather than, say, Elizabeth, rather than, say, the mother of Elijah, rather than, say, any of the prophet's mothers? We don't really know, uh, except that, obviously, in God's plan, he knows. So they have a, they really have, do have a deep devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In fact, in Fatima and other places, large uh, popular Marian pilgrimages, you'll see Muslims there. Lots of Muslims who, who come there to, to venerate the Blessed Mother. In one way, Mary is this bridge between Catholicism and Islam, but she's also a force to be reckoned with. She's a mighty warrior when it comes to holding back invading enemies in the history of Christianity. Are there any specific instances in history where we see Mary coming to the aid of Christians in battle oh, yes. specifically. Yes, so as I said earlier, when Islam began to spread, there were two factors mm -hmm. that contributed to its rapid spread. One, that they spread by force. 
Jihad has no problems about making converts by the sword. Two, they're spreading across the Arabian Peninsula, what's now Turkey, where so many of these heretical Christian sects already lived and who accepted basic tenets of Christianity with the exception of the divinity of Christ. So once the, the Islamic uh, uh, religion spread through these once Christian lands, they then began to spread up into Europe. And the first peninsula or region they invaded was Spain. And so this is, this is interesting because then this brings a, um, an interesting interplay between the Blessed Mother and the battles against Islam. Once Spain became controlled by Islam, they, um, the Christians not only were persecuted, but they even had to hide some very special uh, statues of Our Lady. One in particular, a statue from Pope St. Gregory the Great given to St. Leander of Seville, uh, a statue uh, blessed by the Pope, and it is our Blessed Mother holding our Lord. And to prevent that statue from being destroyed by the Muslims, they buried her. They buried the statue uh, near a river called Wolf River. And after the Reconquista, after Spain was reconquered by the Christians, a young shepherd boy named Gil Cordero received a vision from Our Lady. She told him, go dig by this river, Wolf River, mm -hmm. and you're going to find a statue of me that has been buried there for a long time that was blessed by uh, one of my great sons, of course, St. Gregory yeah. the Great, given to another St. Leander. The name of that statue, Our Lady of Guadalupe, means Wolf River in the Arabic Latin kind of mix. Um, it's called Mozarabic, Mozarabic. There you go. That's how you say it. <laughs> Mozarabic language. Uh, Guadalupe means Wolf River. Uh, and so uh, from, from that discovery and that title, our Lady began to conquer and other major uh, victories throughout Christian history, like the Battle of Lepanto, mm -hmm. the Battle of Belgrade, the Battle of, of Vienna, etc., where miraculous intercession of Our Lady saved the Christians. Can you talk a little bit more about Our Lady of Guadalupe and her connection to Lepanto? When this statue was recovered in Spain and cleaned up and replaced in the cathedral in Seville, devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe spread throughout Spain. Yeah. So this is the late 1400s. Now jump ahead to the 1530s, mm -hmm. 1536, I think, when um, a, a young uh, convert to Catholicism, an Aztec, uh, whose Christian name was Juan Diego, began receiving appearances of some young woman and to convince the local bishop and the Spaniards who were then ruling in that region that she was real she had him pick roses in the middle of winter and place, and she helped place them in his cloak called a tilma. And when he appeared to Bishop Zamaraga and lowered his cloak to show the roses as proof that Our Lady was actually appearing, an even greater proof appeared on his cloak, her image. And when the bishop asked him, who is that? Who's this woman on your image? Yeah. He said, she is Te Cuataluspe which is an Aztec uh, name for she who conquers the stone serpent. Okay. The Aztecs worshipped a stone serpent, and the stone serpent was oftentimes seen on a crescent moon. And, of course, Our Lady then is seen standing on a crescent moon. And uh, we know through Christian tradition that one of the translations of Genesis, when the, the serpent's neck is broken, we know, of course, our Lord is the one who breaks it, but because Our Lady gives him his humanity and his flesh that enables that victory that she too shares in that victory, she who crushes the serpent. Well, now, now jump ahead uh, to the 1570s, 1571. 
in uh, the, a harbor called Lepanto Harbor or the Bay of Corinth in Greece, the Muslims were preparing to invade Rome. They wanted to destroy the Pope and destroy the church and, and conquer Europe. And they had an invasion force all prepared in this Bay of Corinth near a town called Lepanto. So the Christians met them and were greatly outnumbered. And one of the admirals, Admiral Andrea Doria, had been given a replica of St. Juan Diego's Our Lady of Guadalupe, painted and touched to the original Tilma, and then it was given to the king and queen of Spain, I believe, or was it Portugal? I think it was Spain. Then they gave it to Andrea Doria. The morning of the battle, the winds were blowing against the Christians, mm. whose fleet uh, were arrayed in a cruciform shape, the shape of a cross. Meanwhile, the Muslims were charging them. They were shaped like a crescent moon, the sign oh. of the Turkish empire, the Muslim empire, and the wind was blowing against the Christians. So Andrea Doria went down mm. in his captain's quarters, prayed before that image, asked Our Lady of Guadalupe to intercede. When he came back up topside on, on top of his ship, the winds had completely shifted 180 degrees. They blew now against the Muslim fleet, and because they're shaped in a crescent moon shape, the wind blew the formation apart, and the Christians attacked and sank the whole fleet. That's incredible. Yeah, and by the end of the day, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, somehow the Pope, hundreds of miles away in Rome, knew of the victory. Wow. He says, Our Lady told me he had his cardinals that were with him to pray a Thanksgiving prayer to Our Lady because he knew the victory had been won. That's incredible. Yeah. I think it's easy, for at least for me, to think of just Our Lady of Guadalupe with Juan Diego in this one point in time. But it's incredible to see the, the predecessing events that led to that, right. that vision and as well right. as like her influence after that appearance. Right. That's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible because it shows that she really wants to be the intercessor and it is due to her intercession that she's victorious. It shows that our Lord himself, he wants to unite all of us with his glory and his victory, but in particular his mother. Mm -hmm. And there's many historical examples uh, proving this, Lepanto being one of the most unknown and amazing battles that have ever taken place. And how many of us have ever even heard of it? I never studied it yeah. in school. No, I studied history it, and, and I didn't was, know it. It was a it. major, major battle and a major victory that spared Europe from an invasion force that was far superior. The Tilma, have you seen the Tilma before? Holy Family School of Faith is taking a pilgrimage down to the Tilma. Unfortunately, it's a pilgrimage that is completely booked. Fortunately yes. and unfortunately. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful that people yeah. are going, but gosh yeah. dang it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's booked. Unfortunately for, for listeners who want to go to this mm -hmm. one, although we will do it again. This would be my first trip oh, uh, to see the Tilma. I've only studied it from afar. And this Tilma is utterly miraculous. One of the most miraculous relics that we have on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. For one thing, the pigment that is contained within the image on this tilma has no earthly source. Scientists have investigated it several times. They don't know where these pigments that create these colors came from. Secondly, they hover over the top of the fibers. Uh, they don't adhere to it like it, you would think yeah. uh, if, the, if it was painted. Thirdly, the fibers themselves should have deteriorated 500 years ago and still right. exist. Then there's other miraculous things like her eye. 30 or 40 years ago, they blew up her eye um, with uh, magnetic imagery, and they were able to actually see tiny, tiny in the pupil of the eye uh, 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 images of St. Juan Diego and the bishop kneeling as he sees uh, Juan Diego's tilma. 
which of course, if Our Lady were truly present in the room, were truly present on Juan Diego's tilma, in her eye would be reflected these realities with Juan Diego looking down over the top yeah. and the bishop kneeling in front of her. And indeed, that's exactly what you see in the eye. Okay, how could that be possible? Right. There's no way a human could have painted that. We don't even have the technology for a human to paint that today. Mm -hmm. Why would they even think to do that if this were fabricated? This is obviously authentic, uh, among so many other uh, fantastic uh, qualities of, of, this, of this relic. So we're going to spend an entire day in the, the new cathedral, the new basilica, rather, that was built to, um, to venerate Our Lady's image. And I myself am just going to soak it in. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I can't wait. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I we did a podcast episode with Mike Schlorschlick, um, mm -hmm. and he mentioned the like incredible, miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and how like even the body of the the temperature of the tilma is reflective right. of the body temperature right, of, of a the human body. body. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, oh, yeah so and good. the stars that are on her mantle, uh, some astronomer figured this out, match exactly the constellations that would have been in the sky that day had the sun been down, had you been able to see them at ten in the morning or yeah. whenever she appeared to him. But it, the other interesting thing is not only are the constellations arrayed correctly on her mantle, but they're arrayed from the perspective of someone in heaven looking down at us at earth. That's incredible. Versus someone on earth looking up at her right. in heaven. So they're arrayed the way they'd be if, if the stars were truly making up her mantle as she's looking down yeah. on earth. How, how, how does this right. happen? Right. This, this, this is not coincidence, and mm -mm. a human couldn't have done this. Mm -mm. Further sign of, of the divine uh, um, and miraculous nature of this holy image. Our Lady of Guadalupe, she isn't the only Marian apparition in connection to Islam. We hinted at this earlier in the mm -hmm. episode with the naming of Muhammad's daughter, Fatima. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about the Marian apparition of Fatima connection? Yeah. yeah, so when Our Lady began appearing to the children in Fatima starting in 1917, why did she choose Fatima? Yeah. Think about this. Of all the places in the world she could have gone, she chooses one remote, little, tiny village in the middle of no nowhere, Portugal, which by then was a backward, I don't want to insult the Portuguese, but it wasn't fully, it wasn't as developed as other parts of mm -hmm. Europe. And, uh, and she chose this, and she chooses this town that was named for Fatima's daughter, and it was also named for a, uh, a Muslim chieftain's daughter, who, when the Muslims were removed from Spain, this young girl named Fata ended up marrying a Christian man, and they settled in that town. So it's got these Muslim overtones. Mm -hmm. Well, Our Lady appears there, and she says to the children, Our Heavenly Father wishes to conquer sin in the world by means of my Immaculate Heart. Now, before we assume some kind of heretical statement equating Our Lady with God, what she means is that... It's already a statement of our faith that any Christian should believe that we're all drawn into the mission of Christ. We're all called to live the life of Christ. As St. Paul says, it's no longer I, but Christ who mm -hmm. lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Therefore, we're all called to share in the glories of Christ. Our Lady shares in Christ in a way more unique than anyone else because she literally can call him son. He literally can call her mother. Therefore, he set her up not because she's powerful in and of herself, but because she shares in his power in such a unique way, he wants to reign through her in a unique way. Therefore, she says, the Heavenly Father's plan entails 
that the victory that prepares for his final coming will come through her. And so she's given at Fatima a battle plan, a victory plan, that if we make use of, we too are going to share in her victories, whether they're against Islam, whether they're against secularism, Mm -hmm. uh, against all the forces uh, of evil that are seeking to deny the fatherhood of God. She's there to correct. Uh, So that's why I think she appeared at Fatima. The Islamic faith is not a faith that's known for its tenderness or gentleness. Instead, it relies on submission, which is in the name of the religion itself. So how does Our Lady's gentle tenderness contrast with this? And what does she teach us, especially at Fatima, but throughout her life as well, when it comes to interacting with friends, neighbors, coworkers, or even strangers who practice Islam? Yeah, so um, something St. John Paul says uh, in Crossing the Threshold of Hope mm-hmm. is a book he wrote towards the end of his pontificate as we approached the year 2000. Uh, he says that Satan's plan from the beginning, if you look in Genesis and look at his activity from that point forward, is to eradicate in the hearts of men and women the idea, the concept, and the love of God as a father Mm. and instead replace it with the concept of God as a master. And when you look at the modern secular culture, this is exactly how they see God and the laws of God as things that are bad because they're trying to restrict their freedom. So therefore, it's up to them to assert their autonomy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's modern secularism. They want to assert their autonomy against God, and they hate the concept of God. So that's one reaction to this loss in the heart of the sense of God as a father. But the other reaction is just as much a reaction to this lie. That's the reaction of Islam. Mm -hmm. You're right. God is not a father. He's a master. And what do you do to a master? You submit. Islam means submit. And a Muslim is one who has submitted. So the whole idea of Islam is that God is master and rules through power. And therefore, they have no qualms at all about using force, even deceit, to spread Islam through the world. Now, contrast that to Our Lady. Our Lady, whose life is in full submission to God, Mm -hmm. but not as one who submits to a master, but rather as a daughter who submits lovingly, obeys lovingly to her father, and therefore receives the greatest gift of all, the eternal son that is her son made flesh, And this maternal relationship she has with Jesus Christ, revealing that God really is a God of love. He rewards through love, and he draws us into a relationship of love, not one of dominance. So her devotion is a devotion of obedience in love, not submission through power. So it's a a very strong contrast between the two religions. I think it's easy to take even the prayer, the Our Father, for granted as Catholics and Christians and to forget and calling God Father is not something that's universally practiced throughout different religions in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, this is this is the role of Our Lady. Mm-hmm. Is th- Think of, think of the, the role of our moms, or I think of the role of my wife. I have six, six kids. When they were young and they were making a mess in the living room, and I would say, okay, I'm going out. When I come back, <laughs> clean up all your Legos. And my kids would freak out because there's a gazillion of them strewn from one end of the room to the other. And uh, my wife, she helps predispose them to do the Father's will by literally getting down on the ground with them with all the toys. And she says, here, I'm helping you put them away. Do you see? Mm -hmm. So that the children won't freak out at the great demands 
that the debt is imposed on them and really the demands are nothing more than hey just just try not to make a bad mess and and clean up after yourselves right, huh? right. it's nothing extraordinary but it's a mother's role and a wife's role to help dispose the children to respond lovingly to their father so that there's harmony and peace and order that exists within the family well that's what our lady does she wants to dispose us to the father's will and in being mother of the eternal son he himself reveals that God is an eternal father, but because he's incarnate, made flesh, he reveals now he also is the son of man, a title he, he reserves for himself, so that she stands as this bridge between the eternal reality of God the Son and the created reality of God the Son that now are bridged in her womb, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. When it comes to standing for peace or fighting for peace, in a world that is riddled with violence? What role does the rosary play? What spiritual weapons do we have, especially when it comes to devotion to Our Lady? Yeah, so at Fatima and beyond, I, I want to point out something I read from uh, Pope Benedict XVI. He said, apparitions of Our Lady have increased, especially in the 20th century, more in the 20th century than many of the previous centuries combined. Why is that? Because we need her. We yeah. need a mother. What, are, what is the common uh, thread through all of these apparitions? Pray the rosary. Pray the daily rosary. Because in praying the rosary, our mother comes to us. She teaches us about her son, the Word made flesh, the incarnate God, and all the, the fascinating and basic elements of his life from the joyful mysteries to the luminous, to the sorrowful, to the glorious, so that they get imprinted on our heart and soul, that we might begin living them, and that we might be covered with her own mantle. Furthermore, she calls us to consecrate and trust ourselves to her entirely, thus becoming more hers, thus becoming more like Christ. And then lastly, she calls us to do the first Saturdays. This was something that came out of Fatima. That is the first Saturday of the month, for five consecutive Saturdays, receive communion, go to confession, pray the rosary, and then keep her company for 15 minutes, meditating on the other mysteries of the rosary that you didn't pray in your rosary, so that it's totally saturated in her for that first Saturday of the month. I do this every first Saturday. I, I completed my five first Saturdays many years ago. I do it every first Saturday as reparation to her immaculate heart. These are the weapons that she has given us to fight sin today. I've been reading a book called The Marian Option by Dr. Carrie Gress. Uh, the subtitle is God's Solution to a C Civilization in Crisis, which if audience members are looking for a good book to dive deeper into this, this comes highly recommended. Um, but in a, in a chapter on Our Lady Guadalupe and her connection to Islam, she writes, unfortunately, the battles of old did not put a definitive end to clashes with Islam. And she goes on to tell the story of a Nigerian bishop who told the international press about his own experience with the rosary. And he says, quote, towards the end of last year, I was in my chapel with the Blessed Sacrament, and I was praying the rosary, and then suddenly the Lord appeared. And in a vision, Jesus didn't say anything at first, but he extended a sword towards the bishop, who in turn reached for it. And as soon as I received the sword, he said, it turned into a rosary. And the bishop said, adding that Jesus told him three times, Boko Haram is gone. And so it's easy to think of the rosary. It's like, oh, it's just a prayer. Oh, it's just beads. No, this is, this is serious. This is a spiritual weapon. Right. I just finished reading a book on Padre Pio. And, um, of course, Padre Pio says the rosary is the weapon. Mm -hmm. And along with the Holy Mass, he would, he would call each of those the weapon that would be used by God to conquer Satan. And the problems we see in our church, the problems we see in the world are due to the influence of Satan. 
What people don't realize is that Padre Pio accepted the stigmata, that is, the wounds of Christ in his body, because our Lord appeared to him and showed him the sins of the priests of the 20th century. Mm. And he accepted the wounds of Christ into his own body and began praying the rosary continually. Uh, after he died, they found in his wool habit a little hook inside of there. And in that hook, he had his rosary hung. Yeah. So, it was, so whenever he'd have his hands inside of his oh. sleeves, he was praying, praying the, rosary. the rosary. It was always there. Wow. So whenever he had a free moment, he prayed the rosary. He prayed the rosary continuously because he knew it was the weapon. He knew his vocation in life was to do penance for the sins that were coming or that were already there mm-hmm. and to prepare the way for her triumph. And we can't forget this. In the end, she says at Fatima, my immaculate heart will triumph. I don't know about you. I like being a warrior and I like being on the side that triumphs. I pray my daily rosary. I've consecrated myself to Our Lady. I practice the first Friday, uh, first Saturday's devotion. Yeah, if you're going to be on a team, be on the team with the Satan Crusher. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. I think the rosary is especially relevant given today. We're, we were talking earlier about the news that came out of Pennsylvania with the scandals. And so it's easy to sit and look at those headlines and say, what can I do? I can't do anything. I'm helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the beautiful the reminder that the rosary, I mean, there's so many things that we can do and we are called to action, but the rosary is something that we can turn to automatically. That's right. And we've got to realize that it's Our Lady's role to help prepare the way for the coming of her son. Her triumph is 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 her giving the honor to prepare the way for his second coming the way she's given the honor to prepare the way for his first. The problems we're seeing in the world with war, with the, the dangers of nuclear war, with communism, with Islam, and now these sexual perversions in the church mm-hmm. that are horrible, all have the same root cause. Yeah. They all accept the seeds of Satan, that God is not a father to be trusted but a master to be rejected, especially his laws dealing with humanity and sexuality and the procreation of life. It is this rejection of this life-giving power of humanity that shows our deep rebellion against a fruitful father who's calling us to share in his fruitful love. Therefore, Our Lady, whose fruitful response Mm -hmm. to that love gives fruit of her womb to the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the instrument our Lord wants to use and our Heavenly Father wants to use to bring about the destruction of Satan's power, which seems so so strong and so global today. Let us turn to Our Lady, not just to fight the forces and enemies of the church that are religious, but also the forces of the church within the church that are moral. It is Our Lady's purity and humility that will conquer. So normally we close the episode with a glory be, but I thought it would be fitting to close the episode with a different prayer. So a little bit of background for this. Father Jacques Semel was a French priest who was murdered um, during a 2016 mass that he was saying at his parish by two Muslim men who pledged allegiance to ISIS. And the canonization cause for Father Jacques was opened up at a diocesan level in April of 2017. So less than a year after his murder, Pope Francis waived the typical five-year wait that comes with canonization process. But the prayer is from a Lebanese journalist, Masan Hadara, who wrote this prayer to Jesus and, and his mother Mary in the wake of the martyrdom of Father Jacques Semel in France, and it feels particularly um, relevant to us as we um, go through the scandal that have happened in the church. And so we'll close with a prayer that's written by um, this journalist. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Mary, Jesus, do not delay. We beg you, Virgin Lady of the women of the world, ask Jesus to quickly come to us, because we're no longer able to endure what is going on. Our world, from Jerusalem to Iraq, suffers divisions. 
Our churches are desecrated, our priests are being killed, our children are being killed, and we are helpless. We beg you, Mother, help us with your prayer. Jesus, do not be late. Come to us because we suffer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.